The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Work it, make it, do it. Makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. That, 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 that don't kill me. Can only make me stronger. I need you to hurry up now. Cause I can't wait much longer. I know I got to be right now. Cause I can't get much stronger. Man, I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on ya. Okay, the wait is over. You hear that music? That means it's time for you to hear and listen to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters, and this is a special day for me. It's a day of which uh, I tell people most of the time, I don't find myself in a position where I'm too nervous or too anxious. Uh, I've been blessed with with a great career in sports and and a good education at The Ohio State University and and met President of the United States. Uh, But there's times where you just find yourself humbled because you truly are are, uh, in an environment where there is greatness. And I have been blessed with that greatness today. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that just is something to let you know what the show's going to be. It's going to be a great show today. There's a couple young men out there, and I just want to uh, make sure that I acknowledge the fact that, of course, everybody knows in the world of sports that the NFL Combine, uh, I guess they saved the best for last. So the, the DBs, uh, the safeties and the cornerbacks are getting their job done today, or perhaps maybe they're hoping to get the job done so that they will land the job and I want to shout out to my good friend Kelvin Fisher, who, of course, is a scout for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he wouldn't give me any inside scoop right away as opposed uh, as it relates to who he feels is uh, jumping off the charts or doing an outstanding job. But he promised that he will be here as a guest on the show with us. And we'll talk about it in a few weeks. But as I mentioned, greatness and the world of sports has been blessed uh, by a man and a dream and a couple other men that were right there with him. But certainly, I am blessed today to have the opportunity to to speak with the man that had a great vision and continues to do great work. But there's a book out for those of you that are book readers, and we should all read. Creating an Empire, ESPN. Wow. Creating an Empire, ESPN. And that's exactly what it is. The no-holds-barred story of power, ego, money, and vision at that transformed a culture and of course this book is a a book that is uh, written by the former chairman of ESPN and that is Stu Ivey I have Stu on the line with me Stu how you doing there today well I'm doing real good Ray thanks for asking me to be on well I'll tell you what uh, as I said I've been blessed and and I have been and I and I just remember that I can go back to 1979 and I don't want to tell the story and that that's the reason why I want you here uh, but I remember 1979, I was a, uh, in my junior year at The Ohio State University as a Buckeye playing in the secondary and having a pretty good year. Yeah. But, but I want to know a little bit about your year of 1979, and, and that's just when it started. But, of course, there was something even before that. And so if you don't mind, for those listeners out there that have never got a chance to hear the story about what it takes and how a great business is built, why don't we start off a little bit, if, if we could, Stu, uh, just 
just as you, as a young man, starting off your career it, and, and landing your first job and, and then going from that to another job and then finally uh, there at, at, at Getty Oil. But uh, you didn't start off at Getty Oil. You, can you tell us a little about early years of your life? Well, uh, Ray, actually, uh, at college, when I went to college at the University of Washington, I didn't do real good in school, and the Korean War was on, so I thought I might volunteer for the draft, and I was drafted, uh, went in, went to Fort Ord, and uh, uh, did well there as a recruit, and I got to uh, select a place where I was going to spend my time in the service, and I chose Berlin, Germany, and at that time it was quite an exciting place, behind the Iron Curtain, and uh, it uh, really was... Uh, an eye-opener for me. I hadn't traveled to Europe before, and uh, particularly in the behind the Iron Curtain, and uh, I spent two years just really having a good time seizing the moment, which I always uh, talk about in my past, and uh, uh, came home, uh, went back to school, and uh, I did real good, uh, and uh, graduated from the University of Washington, and uh, I started my first job at uh, first full time job, I guess, uh, at the predecessor company of Getty Oil Company, which was in those days known as Tidewater, Tidewater Oil Company, the uh, home of the Flying A gasoline, and uh, uh, kind of just got situated in a in a position where I was a new employee, and we were just about to relocate our world headquarters from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And uh, my first assignment was to try to coordinate families and uh, household goods for the move with a moving company. And we did it over a weekend. And uh, I got to meet a lot of the top people in the company, even though I was very fresh with with that opportunity. I uh, got to know a lot of the top people and moving their families and things like that. And when we got down to uh, Los Angeles in our new world headquarters building, uh, I was assigned to uh, kind of be in charge of the, uh, of, of the new building and leasing and things like that. And uh, uh, had a staff of people who were service-oriented. And uh, we went from there. And then about, uh, oh gosh, about four years later, George Getty, the eldest son of J. Paul Getty, who was the uh, uh, the Bill Gates of that time, the richest man in the world, and uh, George had just returned from the service also, and uh, I got to know he and his wife quite well when we moved their furniture and everything, but four years later, he called me up to his office one day, and he said, uh, Stu, if you want to learn the oil business, we're going to have to expose you to it. And so he said, why don't you take this office next to me, and uh, I'll just pass some things through that I think are interesting for you and should, you should know. So I did that uh, for a long time, got to know the a bit of the oil business and uh, how it ran all over the world. And uh, I had a lot of assignments given to me as they became open, and uh, I uh, was in charge of real estate, uh, then I had uh, responsibility for operations all over the world that were non-oil. And I uh, uh, had a hotel, a big, huge, beautiful hotel in Acapulco, which uh, uh, I managed for quite a while, not managed, but was in charge of. And then I'd had assignments in Africa, and I had all along the way a lot of personal uh, relationships with George Getty. And one day was appointed his executive assistant. 
and uh, in the I had hotels, uh, a couple of hotels here and there we had acquired while we acquired some oil company that had a hotel or something. And I took those over and uh, and led me to Hawaii where I was uh, uh, negotiating to buy the Kona Surf Hotel on the big island of Hawaii. And I got to know a financial group there that was representing the owner. And uh, along the way in discussions with them and everything, they found out what I did and was responsible for. And one day they told me, he said, you know, uh, we're bit, we've been financing very limited amount of guy that uh, has this idea, but he has no wherewithal, and he, we've run out of prospects and so on. He said, would you mind talking to him? So I said, no, I, w- I wouldn't mind at all, because I, I always had that kind of, a, of an operating um, feeling that I should talk to everybody. You never know when a good idea comes along, so... This fellow talked to me, and, and later he admitted that uh, he thought it was a worthless trip because no oil company was ever going to get into the television business, even though cable television uh, feeding uh, a signal from the satellite up there was not known too well at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to it, and uh, I guess the, the main thing, uh, George Getty had often told me that... Uh, he always dreamed of finding a business that he could start and hopefully be successful and uh, that didn't have his father's name on it. And I always remembered that. Even after, the, after his untimely death in 1974, I continued to have that in the, way deep in the back of my mind, and I thought, well, when this, <laughs> when this possibility came along, I had very little time to act on it. I think if I'd have had time, I wouldn't have, because <laughs> the surprises were many and large in the first couple, three months of this venture. But uh, that, in effect, is uh, how I got started. I was able to uh, have a lot of uh, goodwill with the board of directors of Getty Oil over the years and some of the senior management. And so I was able to call in a chip there, and uh, I was uh, given... Uh, the opportunity to uh, start ESPN, if you will, launch it uh, for $10 million. That was the budget I had suspected we'd need, and through some of the advice of others. And and lo and behold, we announced that we were involved with it, and uh, we uh, uh, got started, and about a month later, I could see we're out of money. <laughs> so wow. A lot of surprises came along, and... Uh, and so, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you read the book I wrote, uh, which does detail everything I did in the beginning and everything we did and all the early history of ESPN. And what I really, what I really like about the book is I'm the only one who could tell the story. Uh, nobody else was involved like I was. And uh, it's been very successful, the book. I've never had a, a derogatory comment about what I wrote. So I feel very good about that, Ray. No, it, it, it's a fascinating book from, from what I've read. And as I said, I've skimmed through uh, various chapters. And, and you mentioned uh, that y- you were glad that you didn't have a lot of time to think about it. But there were some other people that this opportunity was presented to uh, prior to you. Uh, can you. Can you mention a couple of those people who perhaps maybe uh, they missed the opportunity? Well, at that time, the networks, the major networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, we're very, very cautious about these kinds of investment because it uh, was tough on their affiliates. They didn't want, the affiliates didn't want them getting into this, at that time, 
cable business because it would take some of their expertise and all of that away from their their main goals. And uh, so they were rather reluctant. At, and at times, uh, I think they just poo-pooed the, the, <laughs> the growth of Ray. Uh, uh, I, I know people like Ruin Arledge and those people, they did have a lot of uh, pressure from their affiliates. But uh, I don't think... Th- they even thought that this thing would go where it did. Well, the thing about it is, is I read uh, somewhere in your book where you said there was uh, so little history, and and there was so little history as it related because you were venturing off into new waters. No one had been there before. What was it that made you? Was it a gut feeling, and was it uh, a research you did? What was it that made you feel as confident as you did that this? Could well, be a I wasn't confident. I don't want to say that I was terribly influenced by those wishes of George Getty that he would have been able to do such a thing. That was, I was very close to him, and uh, so this idea came along, and that was the, the main motivator. Uh, but also, after he died uh, between 74 and 78, I was kind of, I lost a good friend, and I lost a lot of my motivation, if you will. Yes. So I was looking for something to... Uh, to answer both questions, keep me involved, and uh, I had a huge operation anyway, but it wasn't as exciting as just something like this could possibly be. And then again, as I write in the book, throughout my career with Getty Oil Company, I had uh, a number of different uh, assignments that were really risk-taking, and uh, it was either to sell a company and uh, grow it or sell it or whatever, and I guess maybe I'd had the experience of uh, taking a big risk and being successful in certain cases, so I used that as a little background as why I would uh, hook on to the CSPN idea. Well, Stu, there's a lady that I had the privilege of meeting here recently uh, at the Super Bowl uh, by the name of Lisa Nichols, and she uh, participated in the writing of The Secret, and she talks about uh, being in a valley. Uh, but understanding not to take up any real estate in that valley. Were there, were there times where you found yourself in, in the valley where, as you mentioned, perhaps maybe things weren't going so well? And how'd you well, work your way out of those situations? Well, what valley? In a valley where perhaps maybe you weren't feeling as confident about the ideal that it would work as you were, let's say, when you first took on the uh, the the, uh, the opportunity to launch this ESPN. Were there, were there peaks and valleys for you? Well, I'm not so sure that I, mean, I, I that I understood your question. Yeah, I, my, right. But I can tell you a quick quick story about when I thought it would work. I had a good idea it was work. That was in uh, a couple years after we started up. A woman filed for divorce of, from her husband because he was tending bar, and he would come home at night and he would sit and watch taped football all night long. <laughs> <laughs> and I grabbed onto that and I sent this guy. Hats and caps and ESPN stuff. Wow! <laughs> so that's when I said, "God, maybe we made it." <laughs> mm, wow! Now let me ask you: uh, the idea was brought to you. Uh, am I correct? Was the idea brought to you by uh, by Bill Rossman? Am I pronouncing yeah, that correctly? Yeah, Bill Rossman uh, was a fellow, and his brother. Um, excuse me, his son Scott. Now Scott Rasmussen is quite a well-known pollster now. The Rasmussen Report. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill, I kind of lost track of. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they ca- he came in, and he had a one-page business plan that he presented to me. <laughs> one-pager, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, that's, that was it. That, that's interesting because uh, many times people feel that you, had to ha- you have to have an, a very elaborate business plan in order to be successful, particularly for people who are interested in presenting to venture capitalists, VCs, organizations, and, and other people that are interested. But for you, that wasn't, that wasn't the case. So uh, it was it, is it your background or your passion for sports, or was it just that you wanted to help, uh, again, George Getty find something that did not that, have that was the, I would say probably 80%. And I was also excited about um, the potential opportunity of being surrounded in sports, being a major player in sports. And, uh, you know, it just I, it was something I really would want to do if I ever could choose something to do, but I never had the opportunity. So there it was. It was presented to me, and I had a lot of... I really did uh, think that uh, most of the encouragement I got or the benefits of of my management, uh, my president, and uh, and the board of directors at that time. This was when Getty was gone. I mean, George Getty. So I had done a lot of work with them, and I had done a lot of favors for them, and so on. So uh, it was just one of those, you know, really timely things. And uh, I was able to uh, get $10 million. In those days, that was a lot of money. Oh, yes. But, you know, they had drilled a lot of dry holes, too. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, there was, uh, before we get to the real, real exciting stuff where things really took off for you, uh, I believe there was a, a third ear, you called it, and that third ear was Glenn Davis, and, and a comment was made to you one day by, by Mr. Davis that uh, that I don't think set too well with you. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Well, Glenn and I were close friends for, gosh, 30 years, played golf together all the time, and then traveled together, and I just was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with such a wonderful man and a great athlete. And, and uh, we played golf at uh, Wilshire Country Club all the time in Los Angeles. And I kept bouncing things off. He kept asking me, what in the world are you doing? And he said, uh, one day he did say, he said, you know, Stu, you keep fooling around with this thing. It's going to cost your job. <laughs> well, in a way it did because <laughs> later on we sold everything. <laughs> mm. But 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 that was a good way of costing your your job. I mean, that wasn't uh, the way I think he perceived it, it was going to be the other way. Or did he see that you were doing a, an outstanding job with it? Well, yeah. No, no question about that. <laughs> wow. Well, well, that's a that's a good thing. I mean, the fact that it turned out the the way that he saw it. I mean, after all those years, you and him playing together, and and he being your sounding board, and then he had well, the opportunity to see. Wow, you know, you're really building something special. Yeah, well, I did. I I needled him about it all the time. You know, I said, "How do you think it's going, Glenn?" Well, at that time, you know, we were a major force, and uh, uh, there was just a lot of things that uh, bro- uh, really broke well for me. If you did read the book or the parts where. I made a couple of deals, or more than a couple, that even saved ESPN early on. And uh, it wasn't too long where uh, ABC was indicating an interest in getting into cable. And so I kind of uh, negotiated between them and CBS, and I let each know the other was <laughs> interested. Mm-hmm. So I wound up uh, giving ABC because I was interested in Wide World of Sports and their programming. And... Uh, I sold uh, 10% of uh, ESPN to ABC, and the value at that time for 10% was $2 million a point, which said right there that uh, they pushed a value of $20 million, $200 million on ESPN, and we had only invested 50 at that time. And we were still just growing, but we were our footprint was getting good. And so uh, 
that made me a hero back at the board of directors of Getty, of course. And uh, it wasn't long before we signed that deal that I uh, uh, had our chairman of the board sitting with Howard Cosell at halftime in a Monday night football. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun, and uh, it certainly took a lot of heat off. But uh, uh, there were two or three occasions where I felt we were getting awful close to where our company in its uh, conservative ways, and certainly with something so far out as television in their portfolio, might give up pretty soon. Uh, and uh, they're used to drilling dry holes, but that's in the business they knew. But uh, So that's why I kind of reached out, and I felt we needed a, 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 a potential partner that uh, made a lot of sense. Well, when we did the deal with ABC, not only did they pay a good price for a minor interest, but we also negotiated an agreement on all the sports programming they didn't use, mostly on Wide World of Sports. I mean, they would have all kinds of programming that they didn't use on the program. And so we negotiated a rather attractive buy of a number of their uh, uh, events, which just upgraded our programming terrifically. And uh, probably the most notable is I negotiated to, uh, uh, they did, Saturday, Sunday of the British Open Golf Tournament, and they were all set up before that, a week before. So I negotiated uh, bringing uh, the British Open Thursdays and Fridays to the United States, and we did that, and we uh, we uh, showed it 12 hours each day, and that was the first time golf had ever been shown on Thursday and Friday. So, you know, we started that. <laughs> yeah, golf was uh, a Sunday event, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Is it what? G- golf was a Sunday event in terms of broadcast. If I remember when I was a kid, golf would always be shown on Sundays. Yeah, they're always on Saturday and Sunday. You never saw it on Thursday, Friday. Yeah, that's, that's ex- I remember my grandfather, who was uh, a golfer, who uh, worked at a steel mill, Republic Steel in Canton, Ohio. And yeah. uh, on Saturdays, uh, I remember he would uh, spend his day uh, watching golf. So you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. So so let me ask you, some of the uh, early days of programming, uh, it wasn't the type of programming that we see today. Talk a little bit about some of those uh, deals that, that you worked out and, and who they were with in the early days of... Well, probably ESPN. the biggest uh, worked out for us was we were uh, just getting started about six months and uh, we became a reality, but not necessarily a successful reality, but at the time, Walter Byers was the chairman of the NCAA, and he ran that show by himself. I mean, he was a leader, and uh, I got with him, and he knew we were from a reputable company <coughs> owned by Getty Oil Company, so he didn't have a problem with knowing whether we are going to raise money or not, but I was able to uh, negotiate with him where we could take tape games, uh, not bringing them in on top of anything they were showing, which was only one game a week, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we negotiated that, so we had football on a delayed basis, and then later on, uh, we had live football when it wasn't shown uh, in a particular city. So uh, that worked out great, but I think that probably the most notable thing, and you can talk to anybody now, most of these guys don't know it, but uh, the NCAA Final Four Series basketball they did. They CBS had that. That's the only thing you saw. Well, today it's at sixty-four teams. ESPN showed all of those games before the Final Four, and it really brought tremendous interest in college basketball. 
So I think that was one of the major things we do. And, and we got away from kickbox karate and Australian rules football and a few of those other little things, billiards. And we were able to upgrade our, our programming. Probably the most notable reason was that uh, Getty was willing to back me uh, long after uh, we uh, originally started. And we were able to uh, grow ESPN with our own funds. And uh, uh, we were able to get better programming. Of course, that's the name of the game. And then we began hiring personalities. And, you know, after a while, Dick Vitale looked for a job when he was uh, let go from uh, the Detroit uh, Pistons. He was searching for a job. And... uh, it was a big joke now, of course, but I paid him $175 a game to do color on college basketball. And needless to say, Dick has done quite well with us as a platform because he can do his thing. And the same with Chris Berman. You know, they had a shtick. And uh, Chris Berman, I don't think, would have been very popular on the networks, but he sure was able to make his name in, uh, at ESPN because we weren't sure who was listening and you know, anything else. So it just worked out great. Well, that, that's interesting. You, you mentioned a little bit about those names. And, and along with those names, of course, we, we talked about some programming and, and, and content. Now, the old cliche is that content is, is king. Now, was content has content always been king, or what, do you want to take a little bit of the credit for making content king? Because everybody knows that sports now is some of the most valuable content you could possibly have. Well, uh, I, I, I think I heard you what you said uh what, uh, what about other valuable content? Yeah, you know? content is, is so valuable nowadays. They always say that content is king. Would you say that ESPN helped make content king of, of any network, of any broadcast opportunity, the content that you have, the games, the sporting events? Well, of course, there just became opportunities everywhere, you know, uh, for ESPN because uh, – I bid on the Olympics when I didn't even have, you know, I didn't want to. But I got so much notoriety on that, you know, there was a, a rule in the bylaws of the Olympics that anyone could bid on the Olympics. And uh, obviously nobody ever thought about doing that because there was only three principal networks. But I posted a million-dollar bond for the right to bid on the Olympics. Not in a prayer would we have ever been able to do that. Not in a prayer. In fact, the president of our company at that time, Chet Simmons, uh, was really upset about it. it. He thought it was ridiculous, and on and on. But I can tell you, Peter Uberoff told me many times they didn't know what to do when that bond was posted. <laughs> now, now, what what was it about uh, the Olympics that they did? I mean, I think that's great content. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the networks oh, yeah. now that they're going to compete against it for those contracts. Why was it back then they didn't think that was such a great idea? Well, right. That was for the 84 Olympics, and I think we made that bid in 81. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, and, you know, ESPN today can basically get any programming they want. The viewership is not the problem with them anymore. How many people? Everybody has got ESPN. So, and they're worldwide, you know, there are eight channels of all types of demographics, and they're in 180 countries. I just couldn't go on and on and on. And those who know, know it's the largest network in the world. They make more money than anybody else. And, uh, you know, that's the succession of ownership I always have attributed 
to the to the success of ESPN. We got it started. We took the risk when nobody else would, and when we sold it, the the majority interest to ABC when Getty Oil was sold, they had brought in their broadcast expertise and they added to that. And then Capital Cities uh, was a large cable company. They moved in and they. Uh, brought in fiscal responsibility to the television business and uh, ran it like a corporation does. And uh, it just wasn't freewheeling like the networks did and with their sports uh, uh, entities. And, uh, and then, of course, Disney bought ABC, and that brought entertainment into the word ESPN, Entertainment Sports Programming Network. And it's hugely successful. And I attribute a lot of that to its current president and president of ABC Sports, George Bodenheimer. George used to pick me up at the airport when I would fly into Bristol. He was in the mailroom. Now, he's now probably where I think he's been stated as being the most powerful man in sports, and most people don't hear much from him, but he is an integral part of not only ESPN, but in sports. So, uh, well, he, pre- he, just like yourself, worked your way up as well, as, as you mentioned very early on, how you started out in helping uh, with the move of the company. Uh, and the next thing you know, you found yourself right there next to uh, Mr. Getty. I think what we're going to do, we're going to take a break right here, Stu. Okay. And then we're going to, you're going to hear a little music that'll take us into this break. And then after that break, we're going to come back. And you mentioned a name that I'm familiar with, uh, Chet Simmons. And, yeah. and we want to talk a little bit about Chet on the other side of the break. So Sounds we're great. going to take this break. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. What are we taking, a minute? Yeah. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to beat. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. You bet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at youbet.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, we got a little bit of music there, so that means it's time for us to get back to the show. Of course, you're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters, and again, I'm honored to have my guest with me today, Stu Ivey, who is the former chairman of ESPN. And I want to make sure for those of you out there who have not had the chance to get out and uh, get this new book of which uh, has been out for a little. When was the book first published, Stu? Yeah. 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 When was it first published? Uh, Let's see. uh, 1995. Yeah. 1995. Okay. So it's been out for some time, but I was blessed with the copy of Stu and just got a chance to uh, to peruse it a bit, and, and it's a very good book, very insightful. It's called Creating an Empire, ESPN. So, Stu, you mentioned a name before we went to break there, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I've heard the name, never got a chance to meet the man, but uh, Chet Simmons, uh, a critic, a negotiator, solid businessman. Why don't you elaborate on that a bit more about Chet and his relationship there at ESPN? Well, Chet <coughs> was a former president of NBC Sports, and uh, he became available and uh, I talked to him about starting the company. At first, he was uh, a bit uh, reticent because, you know, it had no background. He was with NBC Sports and on and on and on. But I also knew that uh, they were going to make some moves at NBC, and so uh, I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. But uh, uh, Chet came to us, and he brought a wealth of uh, information on television and broadcasting and programming. And... Uh, he brought with him probably one of the most important men we had in the beginning was a producer named Scotty Connell. He had produced sports for NBC for a long time, and he was interested in uh, getting into something new, and he was just a wonderful guy. I call him the Pied Piper of uh, ESPN in my book, but he was wonderful with the staff, and uh, we started as a non-union organization, and... Uh, as a result, we got a lot of young people from the networks who wanted to do anything they could do and were not limited in any way by a union provision. So we were flooded with young talent and enthusiastic people, and uh, uh, that started with uh, Chet. And Chet, of course, had a wonderful reputation with uh, uh, organizations of football and basketball and all of the uh, uh, organizations that re- represent them. So he was a real jewel. And... Uh, he brought with him uh, a great announcer who uh, became just a wonderful 
instructor, if you will, and shared his guidance, and that's Jim Simpson. Uh, you may not be old enough to remember Jim, but uh, he was wonderful for us. So we had, we had some great talent that, that came to us and in the beginning and for various reasons. But uh, Chet did real well. Uh, he had not, in my opinion, had not run a company. And with the head of a company, you've got a lot of other areas that you've got to get involved with. That's human resources, financial prospects, and things like that. Uh, he was given the product. He put on a great show, and that was it when he was with the networks. But uh, over, the t- over time, we found that uh, we were having trouble coordinating ESPN departments with our own in the home office. And uh, a lot of that is because Chet was not used to... Uh, uh, sharing a, n- a number of things firsthand that might not might have been uncomfortable at the time or so on, but I had to do that, and um, I didn't know what I was going to do about Chet. And a good friend of mine, Bill Daniels, uh, who is a is a legend in the cable business, came to me, and uh, he said that he 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 owned the Los Angeles Express of the United States Football League, and. Uh, he came to me and said at a meeting, first meeting of the owners, they asked if he would call call me, Stu, and see if they'd mind if uh, they talked to Chet Simmons about being commissioner. Well, it worked out just great because I had a problem in a way with Chet, and uh, uh, he uh, he did not have unlimited resources like he did at the uh, at the networks, and so. Uh, I told him, I uh, told Bill Daniels, I said, well, look, I don't want to do anything to compromise Chet's future, and anything like that, I'll hate to lose him. But anyway, they did hire him, and uh, it worked out just great. Uh, he went to work for the U.S. Football League, and, and uh, I uh, was able to get a fellow out of NBC to replace him, uh, NBC Radio, Bill Grimes, and uh, we went on from there. Well, that that's interesting. Let me ask you something because you're talking about, of course, some of the folks there at ESPN, and and I'm interested to know how important was it in terms of the people that you hired there, the people that became the personality in the face of ESPN. How much time did you put into that, or whoever you directed to put into that? A lot of effort put into that. Well, yeah, a lot of them. I mean, you're talking about the personalities that became famous there? Well, those who became famous, and then those even uh, that were there from the very beginning, maybe even behind the scenes that we may not even know about, but certainly those... Well, today they can get anybody they want, let's face it. And you see about every prominent sports personality now showing on various shows at ESPN. I mean, there's some tremendous talent on ESPN now, far more than are on the networks. But that all started with... uh, the ability to be able to do what they'd like to do when they wanted to do it and to uh, introduce their own particular style in our network because it was cable at those days. You know, it's not like that today, but they don't have to look for special people today. They're all clamoring to be on ESPN. Yeah, well, I would tell you this. You're right about those personalities. Those uh personalities that are there today sometimes they become bigger than life and they become celebrities themselves but many many of those guys have have come from a sports background let me ask you about when you guys started decided to start this platform what was it that made you think about bringing sports personalities to the airwaves yeah well 
uh, I didn't quite hear you had a lawnmower go by there, but did you say, are there anybody, is there anybody there that didn't uh, have a popular sports background? No, I, uh, my, my question was, uh, Stu, was how much of that, how much thought was put into let's bring sports personalities to the airwaves and that would separate our broadcast from others? Well, I think, number one, everybody knows them uh, from the other networks when they worked or from the sports in which they participated in. We really didn't have that. We established identities. For, uh, you know, Dick Vitale, of course, had a, uh, a good basketball background, but uh, he lost that when he uh, left the Pistons. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, uh, Chris Berman had came from a local TV, small-town TV studio. And um, uh, he developed himself, if you will, with the ESPN infrastructure. So, uh, but gosh, you, you can just go on and on. You know, Digger Phelps obviously uh, was not an announcer. Uh, and the guys that you see on basketball, uh, they, they just had talent to represent their sport. And uh, that's been the real secret. But they had a, a, a big platform to work from then. Yeah, and what I like about that, and, and I'll just tell you from, from a fan's perspective, what I like about that is, is that you have experts there. And, and it's one thing I like about if I'm going to listen to, uh, let's say, a sports analogy, it always helps when I have somebody there that actually knows the game. I'm, you mentioned Digger Phelps. I mean, great coach. You know, Dick Vitale, even though at that time he had got fired, again, you know, a man who knew basketball. And I, I thought there was a sense of brilliance there, the way you were able to put those guys and match them up with, with your host of the shows, if you will. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. And uh, I don't know, they just seem to adapt so well, some of these people. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we've got ex-coaches that are in the Hall of Fame, and uh, they all become very good announcers and play-by-play people and personality they know all about them and so that's been a wealth of a treasure for espn i mean they got real credibility that, that's, so, it, that's exactly right now you have one guy there i think you you, you dubbed him the, the the golden throat and and that's jim simpson who jim simpson oh yeah jim just a wonderful wonderful guy the yeah. thing i liked about him was he shared his talent with newcomers in the in the in the business and he taught them things and uh you know he's a guy that told him you know that if uh uh he told dick Vitale one time if he doesn't shut up i don't want to be on the program with him anymore <laughs> <laughs> i i could believe that one i yeah. could believe that one yes and and did dick uh, dick of course i don't think dick ever shut up did he no never <laughs> well he still doesn't you know and he's so popular i've been to a lot of games with him and um, I mean, the fans go crazy for this guy, you know, and he's built up so many other businesses that ESPN is a platform uh, for that uh, I just admire the heck out of him. He's, a, he's just a great guy. No, he, he's a great guy, and, and he uh, all, all the players, as a matter of fact, you know, it's, it's a thing I remember when I was a kid. There were certain people that were broadcasting games, you know, uh, Don Meredith, you know, uh, Howard, oh, yeah. Howard Cosell. You know, there, there, there are just great names out there of not only myself, but some of the players that I'm here uh, on this network with. We got younger guys than, than myself, of course. We got Andre Risen out here. We got Kwame Lasseter. We got Damian Anderson. All uh -huh. these guys are, are, are athletes that what we always desired was for those great voices to one day mention our names. And, and your guys, you know, if you make it on SportsCenter, you know, <laughs> you've made it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's just hard. I go back there once in a while, not often. 
But, you know, when we first went to uh, Bristol, uh, there was no place to stay. There was a small little motel. It was a small little hamlet, Bristol, at that time. So I leased the hotel. I think it had 18 rooms, and we put up our people there. And uh, today, you know, there's two major hotels on ESPN property. <laughs> wow. So... <laughs> Well, that's that's kind of a family atmosphere. It doesn't surprise me because in a book, I, I remember reading something where, you know, there would be gatherings there uh, with the employees. And, and, and is there kind of a family atmosphere there now? Uh, well, I don't think so much anymore. But uh, in the beginning and for a lot of years, uh, Scotty Connell, who we mentioned, uh, his wife, Till, would have huge barbecues and things for all the staff because it was lonely up there and uh it became a family they had uh, games that they played you know blah blah but it was really terrific it bonded the guys and the girls and you know we brought women on on uh, sports center and, uh, and as announcers we were the first to do that in a major way and uh they still are but uh we paid. We broke the glass there for him, but uh, uh, we just done a number of things, you know. And you mentioned Chet Simmons. My favorite story about Chet is uh, that I wrote to him one day, and it was early on, and we were watching a tape Oregon game, and we sat there and sat there and sat there, and we didn't know what the, the score was. So I I wrote to Chet and I said, you know, since we don't know how many people are watching us yet. Why can't we superimpose a score once in a while on there or some darn thing so people will know? And God, he wrote me back and he said that would not be possible because it would divert the attention of the audience. And uh, besides, we tell our announcers uh, to tell a score every two minutes. Well, I timed that and that wasn't true. But, you know, today... You can hardly see the event for whatever is on the television screen. No, and and you know what that that was another brilliant idea because I I know whenever I come in and I watch a ball game when I sit down if I if I didn't catch it at the beginning the first thing you want to know is what's the score everybody it, always asks what's the score and so I I think that was a brilliant idea. Yeah, it it turned out to be I <laughs> <laughs> I just did it out of frustration, you know, but <laughs> it turned out to be pretty good. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. Were there any more of those brilliant ideas that just just happened to be uh, uh, you know, just come out of the blue that you just came up with or or did they all just were they all strategically planned or were there a couple things that just happened uh, as a matter of fact? Yeah. I don't know quite how to answer that. I guess I didn't hear it too well. Is there any other thing that were innovative? Yeah, well, I mean, like that. Like, you see, you just, I think that was something that you just wanted to see happen. It wasn't necessarily that you, you know, they did well, research. Uh, you know, they were the, Scotty Connell was, uh, uh, early on, was one of the uh, group that uh, got instant replay going. Uh, that was terrific, of course. Today it's everywhere, but uh, uh, also we uh, put a microphone in the cup for golf tournaments where you could hear the ball go in. Wow. And there's some things like that that you know, we could do, but for guys like Chet and those other people, who are, they just did it the same way every time. Now, they might have had broader coverage, but uh, those little things, you know, seem to interest people. Well, you know, and that's the thing about that's what that enhances 
the broadcast and and people really enjoy that and, yeah. and I, I never really thought about the microphone in the cup but i i do hear that i make mean, trip you know you hear it when it when it goes down don't hear it too many times when i'm playing golf of course <laughs> you know they yeah, never hit the cup huh? but uh but I, i'm telling you I, I hit the woods you know if i could just keep it straight but uh but they're asking me to take another break here so what we're going to do we're going to take our last final break here and then we're going to come back guys i think we got that uh, uh fixed what they were concerned about the noise in the background there but uh we'll take this break and we'll come back Again, you listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I have my special guest with me, Stu Ivey, who's a former Evie. chairman. I'm sorry, Evie. Evie. I've been I've been mispronouncing it the whole time. Well, it, that's all right. I Evie. mean, uh, nobody gets it right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's fine. If we take a break, we'll come back and start over. That's exactly right. So you guys, be sure to come back. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. We'll be back after this break. Steve Stewart. Hitting Radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard Hitting Radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Joe Cribbs, No Average Joe, is here for you, the fan, to hear about and discuss the week's top stories in the world of sports. We'll discuss not only the headliners, but you'll hear some of the smaller stories that don't usually make it on the sports wires today. It's a forum for the sports fan, hosted by Joe Cribbs, a three-time pro bowler with the Buffalo Bills. Joe is a 10-year pro football veteran, a former Southeastern Conference Most Valuable Player, and a member of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Discuss the topics with Joe Cribbs, No Average Joe, Mondays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network. Hey, football fans, are you ready for an intelligent discussion about the Buffalo Bills and the National Football League? Are you tired of listening to talk show hosts that have never played football? Instead of answering your questions, they prefer to listen to themselves. And when they don't like what you're saying, they just cut you off. Well, that won't happen on the Jeff Nixon Sports Report. Keep it clean, stay relatively calm and rational, and the discussion will flow well. Join Jeff Nixon Monday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Sports Network. school to the pros we, we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports okay we're back you're listening to real sports on the voice america network i'm in phoenix living like it matters thank god i can pronounce my own name and i apologize i've been mispronouncing Stu's name the entire show it is Stu evie and That's quite I, all right. I knew I knew who you were talking about. <laughs> okay, and I think many of those people out there also knew who I was, uh, who I've been speaking about and speaking with uh, for the past uh, 
uh, maybe 50 minutes, but we've got uh, maybe six, seven more minutes here left, Stu. Uh, can there ever be another ESP? And I mean, one thing, I, I'm, I don't want to answer that question, but in my mind, I think that you created something that was just so fascinating that the the leagues looked at it and said, wow, what the hell did we do? And they try, they're trying to emulate it. But is there ever going to be another ESPN out there? Well, in my opinion, I don't see how, but I never say anything's impossible. But, you know, regional television, uh, people try to start that and so on and so forth. But uh, it never has been as successful, if you will, as ESPN, of course. And I, d- I don't, the networks now are pretty disbanded in their sports uh, opportunities. I mean, the Olympics, yes, and the Final Fours, yes. But I think there will come a day when uh, ESPN can choose what it wants uh, because, you know, another thing that I think is fabulous is the fact that uh, you see things on every one of their channels uh, rather than just one time. Uh, you know, Sports Center, uh, ESPN News, all of them. All of, their, all of their channels will carry the outstanding plays of the game and on and on and on. So you just have a wealth of information available by the click of your button. Well, I can tell you this. I remember when I was a high school kid, and I was 18 years old. Well, I was 17, going to be 18, about to go to Ohio State University. And, and, and I wanted to take my money and save my money to buy my mother a television. Because <laughs> I hoped that I would play football where she could watch me if I went to whatever university. And I ended up going to Ohio State University and having that opportunity to do that. And I say that only to say this, that kids today, there is no doubt the athletes hope to one day be on ESPN. So Yeah, no uh, question about it. So there, there, there's a tremendous following there. Now, I, I mentioned ESPN. I mentioned if there would ever be anything close to it. Let's take a look, at which didn't exist back then in, in 81 when this deal was being put together and, uh, well, when it came to the air in 79. But the Internet, how do you see the Internet working and ESPN's maybe some of their vision, if you're still close to it, or if you still talk to some of those guys, or maybe even some of the things you're doing today? Uh, how do you see the Internet playing into your work? Well, I didn't quite understand all your questions. I got a bad connection here, but... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll repeat that then. I want to know, uh, Stu, how do you see the Internet today? Because that's broadcast television, but how do you see the Internet I, I see a real future. I guess I start out by saying, what is different than when we started ESPN? Today, you've got hundreds of millions of people as an audience, automatic. You don't have to buy them. You don't have to create them. Uh, you've got an audience there. So, I mean, th- that's tremendous, I, I think. And uh, I don't think it will be long. Uh, well, of course, ESPN's uh, doing it now on a limited basis. Uh, so it won't be long until, you know, there are 90 million subscribers in the United States, which is the maximum they can get, uh, we'll go into the millions. Wow. Well, let me, are, you, are you doing anything yourself uh, in the Internet world today? Well, that's, uh, of course, uh, YourSports.com. That's what it is. It's a fledgling uh, new start about two years ago. And they're, they're beaming, uh, or they're, they're beaming uh, games that aren't otherwise televised. And, uh, you know, they're doing real well at it. I mean, they've got the technical ability, and uh, their whole thing is uh, a major financing move, but uh, they're gaining that, and people now know who your sports is a lot more than they did ESPN in the beginning. 
Well, it's interesting. Your is it YourSports.com? YourSports.com. Okay, I want everybody to go visit YourSports.com, and it's going to be something amazing, just like ESPN was back in the day. I want to thank you so much, Stu. And that Stu, man, we couldn't have done what we've been doing if it hadn't have been for you and what you guys did over there at ESPN. <laughs> so, Stu Evie. Stu well, Evie. It's a great pleasure being on your show, Ray. I've known all about you since you played football. And I think you're in the right spot. So I, I wish you the best of success. And if you give a plug to my book, uh, it's available on uh, StuartEvie.com. Well, thank you, guys. So, again, go out and get that book. It's a good one. And, Stu, we're going to stay connected. I promise you that. You've been listening to Rail Sports on the Voice of America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. And I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.